assume is you can't say nothing defamatory, and you can't say fuck, piss, or cunt. That right? Uh, hello, and welcome to that particularly sweary opening to Ribbon of Memes, episode 80-something? 89? 89, goodness me. Um, this is a podcast where we interrogate films previously described by other advertisers as masterpieces. I am Nick, the uh, bitter, driven, raging mother of the podcast, and I am joined as ever by Roger. It's, the, not, it's uh, not racist if you don't know what colour they are while you're torturing them. <laughs> exactly. We are discussing 20... I've lost what year we're in. 2017. This film was, that's right. It was released in the UK in 2018, but it is 2017's um, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Uh uh, oh, I didn't even write down the director. <laughs> uh, Martin McDonough, who's he mostly works in theatre. Uh, at this point, he he'd made In Bruges, which oh yes had had some. I haven't seen. I haven't seen either of these. Um, he, okay, he got some pretty positive reaction, and it was notable for making Colin Farrell into a serious star you could use in your anchor your film rather than just a generic action movie guy. Now, my experience of In Bruges was I watched it and really enjoyed it, recommended it to my parents who hated every second of it, <laughs> and had to be pointed out to them at the end of the film that it was a comedy, uh, which I suppose you could say, ah, I don't know if Three Billboards is a comedy per se, but it's certainly it, comedic. It's described as a black comedy. Uh, I'm... I don't think I would necessarily agree, and I don't mean that in the sense that it fails to generate laughs. I, I, I think it's... I, I read it as a drama. Anyway, uh, the, the other film he's made at this point, uh, so In Bruges is 2008, and then Seven Psychopaths is 2012. Oh, I've not seen... I think I've heard about that vaguely. Uh, that has Colin it. Farrell again, but also uh, Sam Rockwell and Woody Harrelson, who come back in this one, so... Okay. Well, it might be worth watching um, on the basis of this. Um, so, three billboards, I mean, this generated a lot of buzz at the time, to the point where it put me off watching it, um, as we, I think we've discussed on previous, uh, Ribbon and Memes episodes, uh, the, the hype of a thing, mm. uh, is rarely deserved, I feel, or certainly we've felt that through Ribbon of Memes, um, and even if it is, it actually affects the way you look at a film, so yeah, it, I think... It may be great, but it wasn't the great film that I was told it was going to be, as it were. Yeah, yeah, and it can really, um, uh, yes, change change the way you you feel about a film, however good it is. So this is the story of... I'm very unprepared, I'm afraid. It's Easter weekend, and there's no Easter. <laughs> there's no Easter chocolates left, so I've had a bit of a panic trying to find some. Uh, oh, I, I, I thought have. you were going to say sugar crash. <laughs> um, I'm doing an Easter hunt for the kids tomorrow. Um, an Easter egg hunt, I should say. Easter hunt sounds a bit terrifying. <laughs> anyway, rabbit kill. <laughs> anyway, so uh, this, yeah, so this. This starts off looking like a lot of other films. Um, principal yes. character, uh, played by Frances McDormand, her, her daughter was raped and murdered. And it's now half a year later and the case has gone cold. And she's pissed off about it. She's extremely pissed off about it. This is small town America um, in the in the south. We're in Missouri. Um, uh 
And the way she deals with that is she decides to put up some billboards. Um, well, the billboards are already there, but she, she finds the company that owns them and says, right, you want, I, want, I want these posters put up on them. And the posters say, um, uh, raped while dying, seven months and no arrests, Chief Willoughby, why? Um, or why, Chief? How come, Chief Willoughby? Mm-hmm. Um, and this this then... reminds me of the, the friend of mine, uh, legal academic, who very carefully phrased a, a card to be left under people's windscreens uh, along the lines of, have you thought about your decision to drive a vehicle fitted with bull bars so that it could not be considered in any way threatening? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, so this, I mean, she checks out that she's not saying anything defamatory, that she's mm-hmm. not swearing. Um, she checks the legalities of it and um, pays pays it, puts it up. And, and the rest of the story is really the, the story of... Um, uh, well, a, a bit of an ensemble, but focusing really on three and then two characters because uh, one of the character, uh, one of the characters, them um, dies halfway through. So spoiler. yeah, um, but this is a, this will be heavily spoiled um, as, as, as usual. Ribbon as a meeting. Yeah, um, I think it, it's so. There's a lot here. Some of this is just the attitudes of the police. I mean, what what. The South cliche in particular, but I think police in a lot of places are just not used to people saying, no, that you're not doing the right thing. Yes. Without themselves being in some way criminal. Or can be found to be criminal. And some of what's going on here is that that their immediate defensive reaction is, okay, what can we lock her up for? Can can we get this stopped in some way? This is such a... A kind of an idiosyncratic thing to do that my immediate reaction was, um, uh, is this based on a true story? Because um, it feels, it really feels like it so in a way. Um, the honest answer is uh, not really. Um, the director drove past what he called billboards. I think they turned out just to be large signs rather mm. than even the billboards saying something very similar. Um, and it gave him the idea for the film. Yeah. But that is, that's pretty much the entirety of that it's based in truth. Yeah. Um, and, and he is, I'm, I'm assuming he's an English director, is that Irish. right? Irish, okay. Uh, that makes sense, because I, to me this does feel like a bit of a... I, I don't want to say a lot bad about this film, because I really enjoyed it. I think it's very watchable, um, and very funny, and very nuanced, and very interesting. I do feel like the view of America is a bit... Uh, stereotypical mm. and cliched. I I don't, and I've certainly read some reviewers felt that this felt more like a a fairy tale South, not a good fairy tale, but basically these are all the cliches of the South, and we're going to hear every one of them. Here's the cop, the racist cop that lives with his mum. Here's the you know the the sheriff that everyone loved, the, the kind of John Wayne like sheriff. Um, uh, you know they all hate. Um, they're all racist or homophobic or, um, and, you know, there is a lot of truth um, Well, that's that, the but... thing. I mean, I don't think any individual thing is implausible. One might make a case for all of these things showing up in the same place at the same time is maybe a bit much. Yeah. I, which I, it wasn't for me, but I, uh, I but I, I say this as someone who doesn't live in the American South and, and I suspect... It, it, it's a portrayal of the South that may uh, may not be particularly accurate. But then, I well, think the, maybe... the other thing is we don't actually get a lot of black people. 
which is obviously no. true of some places in the South, particularly places where they could get away from when they had the chance. Um, <laughs> but the the one who is, is very much cutting across those stereotypes. That is the wonderful Clark Peters from The Wire, um, who is absolutely fantastic in that. He, d- he does stick out from the rest of the characters in quite a lot of ways, and he's really just there as a uh, a foil um, to Sam Rockwell's character in a way. He doesn't actually have a lot to do with hmm. the plot other than... Um, and, but ba- basically, I think he's showing just how much allowance the old police chief was 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 making for this guy yeah because as we found out he thought that the guy could in the end become a good detective yes yeah which is it's hard to see whether whether i i have some issues with some rockwell's characters character arc in a way mm. um but uh it's it's I mean, the shot, it's a very watchable, it, it, it wins you over quite quickly. So, I mean, the, the central character is Francis McDormand, who is a fav, favourite of our podcast. I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we've seen her before in Blood Simple and Fargo, and she is just wonderful. And wonderful again here, I think, in, in, in a very different role to both of those roles. Um, she's, uh, embittered, older, really quite cantankerous mum and it doesn't kind of what I like about it, it doesn't miss the eye the kind of person she was before, you know, we see her interacting with her daughter before And she wasn't a particularly great person, yeah. No, she wasn't a particularly great, and she you get the impression she isn't, uh, there's a part of her personality that has always been like this, and and by like this I mean obsessive and deliberately uh, anti-establishment and cantankerous um, but now she's got a focus for it. Um, the, the thing that particularly occurs to me is in pretty much every film with this setup, the plot would be um, she either shames the police into catching the guy or she takes vengeance into her own hands and catches the guy. Yes. And neither of these things happens. No, this is a... So the, the, and and the, there's that lovely, lovely meeting with Chief Willoughby relatively early and his point is basically well yeah we've done the things we can do yeah he's trying to explain you know some cases just go cold and there's nothing we can do and maybe in some years we'll hear about it from someone bragging in a jail cell and i really hope that happens but otherwise we are stuck and and when she when she comes back the things she's proposing are just clearly unworkable you know, this isn't, I have a plan for how we should catch this guy. You're, you're just not doing it because, you know, you know he's the mayor's nephew or something. No, her suggestion is take a blood sample from everyone in the town. All right, everyone in the county. All right, everyone in the world um, and find that DNA. Um, yeah, she's she hasn't, and she doesn't really have, I mean, her end game is to, to solve the murder and take away the pain and the, the guilt that she's feeling. But she doesn't have it, as you say. There's no plan for it. There's no, she doesn't have any useful suggestions for the police or any leads or anything. Nor does she find any for the whole film. Also, I, I think it would be fair to say that her arc is one of those classic um, progressive grief things. You know, she she's going for the I, I want to do something about this. I want the guy caught, but yeah. she is gradually realizing that. Yeah, the, even if the guy were caught, she would still not have a daughter. Yes, and I, I, her ex-husband kind of 
feels a bit more accepting of that, really. And, and but she's in the kind of anger. Somebody's got to do something about this, mm. um, and and not. And and really, you also get the feeling that part of her anger is at herself and trying to. And the, you know, the reason there's a there's a lot to talk about is because it is a really good performance, of course. Cause it's mm. Frances McDormand. Like there's a the the scene that stuck out to me is um. I mean, there were lots of scenes with her. The, the Chief Willoughby one's a very good one where she... Yeah, it's clear she hasn't got a pack. That when she's putting up... Uh, there's a moment where she's near one of her billboards and a deer comes out and she mm. just starts talking to it. And it's kind of a comic conversation she has with it. You know, she doesn't uh, She doesn't say, oh, you're an angel or you come to remind me. It, like all her conversations, it becomes a bit... Antagonistic, even when she's talking to herself, it's sort of an antagonistic conversation. Mm. Um, oh, but the, the it has one with the bunny slippers, similarly. Exactly, exactly. Um, but it has heart. Um, but it seems to be just a funny conversation. Then at the end of it, she just breaks down, and it, it doesn't feel weird. It just you can t- you can see the all the conflicting emotions in her just sort of bubbling up to this. Yeah, in, uh, in the non-verbal part of the performance. I'm, I never forget that this is somebody in pain. I mean, she's, yeah. And ha- th- this is not anything like the minor things that have happened to me, but I, I can recognize that, you know, I will put on a facade so that I can interact with people, but there yeah. really isn't much working inside right now. Yes. Yeah. It's really, but it, it's, she's also plays her well enough that, you know, she's always been a bit like that. She's always mm. been that kind of personality. Um, and everyone else around her is aware of it. Um, and she's, well, we touched on it in the Chief Willoughby conversation, you know, in a lot of other films, she'd be the campaigning heroine. Yeah. Here, it's not at all clear that she's right in what she's doing. Um, as you say, she has no game plan. She has no idea. She's lashing out at a man that has absolutely done his best and is dying of cancer, mm-hmm. and she doesn't care. Um it's not clear that she is um, well in in a way it's kind of clear that she isn't really in the right, in fact what I like about this film is no one is really absolutely in the right or in the wrong they're just people Hmm. reacting to circumstances and and they're they're much more complex than than the typical sort of character one would see I think yes, yeah absolutely well we have I don't I don't think there is anybody who is unambiguously right or wrong in everything they do here, which a lot of no. films would would simply have. I, the closest we have almost to a, a a saint, but not quite, is the Chief Willoughby who kind of martyrs mm. halfway through. But then, um, so he turns out to be, he's not a perfect cop by any means, but he turns out to be very caring and thoughtful. He's a great dad. Um and, and that's interesting, you know. Uh, so switching on to Woody Harrelson, have we had have we had Woody Harrelson in? Other... No, I, I must imp- admit, not having checked the cast uh, beyond McDormand, my initial my initial impression was Ed Harris, and it seems like a very Ed Harris performance. But Ed <laughs> Harris, of course, is eleven years older. So uh, Woody Harrelson is is kind of better, but he's he's very. I mean, he's sort of. Because uh, I used to watch him in Cheers when he was the comic relief character, and then he, he sort of blossomed into this. He almost kind of turned into a Bruce Willis type action hero, but then uh, became more well, either became more interested, just stopped playing these more interesting characters. And I think he he's very good at being tough guys with 
warmth, which I think he does very well here. Um, and I, I, I really like his performance here. I, I, it is quite a... I mean, you say it's an Ed Harris performance. I, I think Ed Harris is a bit colder and harsher. I don't know if Ed Harris can quite do the warmth that Woody Harrelson has Maybe. here. I mean, I, I haven't seen um, much in the way of other Harrelson performances, so... Uh, but he's he's always uh, he's always watchable, um, and here he's uh, what I like. Another thing I like about the film is it sort of segues halfway through into a. Uh, well, it doesn't. It just everything it touches on, it seems to do thoughtfully. For instance, with Woody Harrelson, his character dying of cancer, he decides to end his life rather than go through what he knows is coming. Mm. Um, and there's quite a sort of thoughtful... I mean, we only, it's, it's not nuanced in the sense we only get his side of it, of why he made that decision. Um, but it's a thoughtful, you know, explanation of why someone would choose to go in that way um, hmm. and why they would do that. Uh, and then we and have... And also you know, the, the fairly small part from his, from his wife reacting yeah, so, to that. And she is obviously really angry. No, she's, yeah. she's seen the letter as well. But yeah. um, the the person she can blame is uh, Mildred Hayes, and she's going to. <laughs> yeah. Even if yeah. I mean, I, I picture you two days later, she might be tearful and apologetic. But yeah. right now, she's gonna she's gonna lay into her, and Mildred even... realizes that what's going on, and she she knows. Yeah, you know, she doesn't try to argue about it. She doesn't try to say no, no. You read this letter too. Yeah, that's not going to work at this point. She she just needs to let out the emotion, and. Even in that, again, I, I feel it's a slightly more layered performance. I think it's Catherine Newton as, as his wife, Angela. Um, but she... Uh... Abby Cornish. Oh, oh, it's Abby Cornish. Oh, oh, of course it is. Yeah, sorry, Catherine Newton is the um, the secretary. Um, Abby Cornish, uh, she, um, she is angry. She's lashing out at Mildred. But also in a performance, maybe I'm being too generous, but I felt like... She knew she was being unfair and ungenerous, um, and she uh, right at that moment she doesn't care. Hmm. She knows she probably will care in a few days, and you, that, I feel that comes across. Yeah. But you know, just that, that stuck with me. You know, she's that little moment where you see a picture of the kids in the car just looking out, and you realise what the rest of her day is going to look like. And she says, "What do you do on the day your husband kills himself?" Mm. And then, you know, there's no resolution to that. She just goes back to the car. I just, that is a great little performance there. And all of these moments we've talked about are not funny. But it is a funny, warm film. And I can see why it's called a, a black comedy. But I agree with you. It's uh, the closest it is to uh, is Cohen Brother films to me. Um, but it, it has a bit more... But, we, uh, but I mean, in, in the Coen Brothers films we've seen, it, it, there tends more to be, you know, we're going to do something terribly manly or terribly violent or criminal or whatever, and then it turns out to be really difficult and, and much harder than we expected, and that's funny. But I don't yes. think there's anything like that here. No, I suppose what I mean is it, it's comedy in that sort of, in the in that sort of sense, in that the circumstances are. It's not quite that though, because I feel here the dialogue is a bit zingier. Uh, a bit wittier um, than a lot of the Cohen stuff, and, and I think I uh, I feel the Cohens do that deliberately. I, because of that, I, I suppose sometimes here I'm not sure how realistic this whole film is. You know, as you say, it feels all a bit 
coincidental. And the characters, although they're nuanced and multidimensional, I'm not sure they're really kind of real people in a lot of ways. For, For me, it worked. Yeah, well, it it worked for me as a film. I just i I don't know. Uh, yeah, maybe I'm being a bit unkind there, but I, I will uh, admit to that in the in the very first few shots, there was a thing that got me on side. And when a film does that, I, I'm often well disposed towards it in general. See that the Velocipasta did that for me with um, burning car VFX. Yeah, <laughs> um, but she's when we first see her, she she is singing the Last Rose of Summer. Or yes. listening to the Last Rose of Summer, which is a mournful Irish poem originally about about yeah everything dies everything decays. Yes, and when we see the chief, he is singing Streets of Laredo, which is also <laughs> about death, but it's it's manly cowboy death, right? Yeah, as yeah. opposed to the, uh, I was digging around earlier, one of the versions of the Irish folk song from which from which it was derived is actually about dying of syphilis. But you know, never mind that. <laughs> <laughs> Might have been less popular in that case, but yeah, um, the, yeah, they they are both singing. They are both singing about death, but there's just that that key difference, and that tells you a lot about who they are as well. And that that just, yeah. <laughs> well, that that passed me by, but I have to say that's a brilliant little. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and as you say, they're both. Uh, I suppose what um, the the last rose of summer doesn't have is the anger that Francis made. But yeah, hmm. that's a really good. That's a really good um, encapsulation of their characters. Um, and uh, so Woody Harrelson's character does echo throughout the film, and it, in many ways he influences the plot more than anyone else with these letters he leaves behind. Um, so he leaves a letter for everyone, including um, our, our sort of third character, um, Sam Rockwell. Mm. So, so he's, he's... we haven't seen him before in Ribbon of Memes, I think. Uh, he, he's I been working both, since... Uh, seen... Sorry, uh, we've both seen him in Galaxy Quest. Yeah, so security chief in Galaxy Quest. Um, he was Zayford in the really terrible Hitchhikers film. That, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but but I think probably best known at this point uh, as the the character in Moon. Yes, I like Moon a lot. Um, have you seen Moon? I've not. It, it's definitely on my list. Maybe we should have watched it for Ribbon. Anyway, we'll let's uh, see. Um, well, yeah, I'd, I'd have to watch it again. Look, it's 2017. Once we get to the end, they, they, they let us out of our chains and we can use any year we'd like. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they promised us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, Sam Rockwell is one of those, a bit like Francis McDormand to me, he, he elevates a lot of films he's in. In fact, all, of the, all three of these actors to me are ones that I feel like, oh, this will be a better film for their presence in it. Francis McDormand, I think, more than the other two. <laughs> uh, I mean, we, we both think she's great, um, and I feel no less for her for having watched this film. Um, hmm. But so, but... so let, let, let's talk about Jason Dixon. Yes. So you know, he he is the the cop who isn't the chief that we meet in any sort of detail. Yes. Um, we are told up front that 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 he has been torturing suspects through a guy out Allegedly. of the window. I, yes. I think it's less alleged and more nobody really cares. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, um, it's not. It's not strongly refuted, to be fair. And again, in the cliche film, he would have a great big moment of revelation, and you know, he's nice to everybody thereafter, except actual bad guys. But no, he's. I, I, I do do come and criticise me on this. I, I, know, I know you weren't quite as impressed with this as I was, but he's gradually moving from. I'm a racist. Um, I, I I probably also hate faggots. I've just never met one. Um, yeah, 
police are right, everybody else is wrong, don't tell police how to do their job, to by the end, well, I'm I'm still a I'm still a pretty horrible person. Yeah, but <laughs> well, I suppose I I agree. I mean, I uh, I think he's a great character when he's a bastard. <laughs> I think he's a great character. I mean, I I like I loved the film and I enjoyed the journey he went on. Uh the redemption arc though, I I find perhaps a little difficult because he has and. Uh, well, it's not he redemption. Is. That's the thing. Well, I mean, if, if by by the end of the film, you know, he, 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 a black guy gives him liver at a gas station. It's not going to end well. He, well he's not I, a good person. I mean, I suppose that this is. It's a funny thing that I keep saying redemption arc because by the end of the film, um, him and Mildred are going off ostensibly to kill someone. So you know, hmm. it's not it's not your classic. <laughs> it's not your classic happy ending. Um, Though it's, uh, as you pointed out, off air, it's kind of framed like one. Um, well, that, uh, yeah, I, I, I do want to say this because th- this this is definitely you know, director and DP working together. Yes. All the visual grammar of those closing shots, you know, loading up the car, getting on yeah. the road. It's it's all the what what we're conditioned to think of as you know, it's the start of a journey. It's new beginnings. Yeah, it's the Casablanca. This could be the beginning of a beautiful friendship. And yet we know perfectly well what they're going to do. Yeah. <laughs> And so did they, and they're not very, yeah, it's it's a good, um, I'll talk about the ending, but uh, a bit more in a sec, because I've sidetracked a sure, bit sure. there. Um, but um, uh, I just had some issues for, this is a, a violent racist bully, um, who then sort of becomes more heroic. And well, I, I think he's moved Mildred from the category of people he bullies to the category of the people he's protecting and serving. Yeah, I suppose that's true. I mean, I feel. Um, I, I don't think his attitude to anybody else has particularly changed. Yeah, that that's fair. I, I I feel uncomfortable about him having any kind of redemption. Not because I didn't want to see. I mean, I love redemption stories, and I like to see villains uh, get better. And and he kind of he he cha- he transitioned from the antagonist to a protagonist, I suppose. Um, uh, uh, and, and does some genuinely, uh, you know, selfless acts, like he gets the, the shit kicked out of him in order to try and get the DNA mm. of a suspect. Um, uh, I mean, because it's him and because it's this film, it it doesn't work because he's, he isn't that he isn't the right guy. And he was talking about something awfully done uh, in uh, Afghanistan. That was a nice moment when he's such a bad detective that he can't quite work out what his chief is telling him when mm. he says that he's not been in the country. He wasn't here. It's classified. It's a sandy country. (laughs) He still doesn't doesn't quite get... Um, It's a country that ends with an N. Yeah. I don't want to end... um, I I, I don't want to overplay it. I just... um, I'm a little uncomfortable about him getting a redemptive arc. I don't think it was inconsistent with the film. You know, there was another really nice scene, um, which would have been different in a Coen Brothers film. And that, that is, so there's the scene where he ends up in hospital next to Red, who he's just put in hospital. Mm. Um, and that would have been a very different scene in Tarantino or Cohen or many other directors. But here, uh, there's the revelation, the Red, of who he's sitting next to. Uh, and I, I feel this kind of characterises this film a bit. He's horrified. It's an awful situation. Um, but he brings him over an orange juice. Um, 
I just thought it was a really nice touch. And this film is, despite being full of swear words and bitterness and horrible things happening, um, it's also full of that kind of warmth, um, mm. which I... I found made it a very easy watch. Um, one uh, one just... of the few times we've seen Cover Landry Jones in, in a role where you don't want to want to see him beaten to a pulp and put in hospital. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's harsh but fair. Um, but in a way, that kind of easy forgiveness, which is emblematic of this film, I feel that's. Uh... I know. I I went along with it and I liked it. I just worry that that's too easy forgiveness for a man like that. Mm. But well, uh, we we don't really get to see a lot of uh, what's the character called Red. Yeah, we don't really see yeah. a lot of hi- what's driving him. No, he gets a scene in the snooker table with uh, Peter Dinklage, who also turns up mm. um, as the uh, uh, as the town uh, midget, as they refer to him in the in the film. Um, uh, he, he, he. Does, I mean, he always, of course, Peter Dinklage is a very good actor, and he gives a very good performance as well. He doesn't have. A, I mean, everyone here has interesting characters. You know, he. You don't get much about him, but he's he, he's used, and then he's offended about being used and upset, and that's it's nice. It's, yeah, and and some of them that is a misunderstanding because Mildred is de- dealing with the emotional thing of her ex husband and his revelations. Yes, but yeah, yeah. I, but it's nice that, you know, that was a nice one. And that tells you a lot about Mildred, that like she's like, you forced me to come on this date. And he's like, well, I, I asked you to come on a date. And mm. it was, yeah, it was a, it's full of nice little moments of misunderstanding and uh, very human. Again, it all feels a bit heightened to me and a little bit coincidental and a little bit... Uh, Clichéd maybe for a novel, but this is, I think every, the reason I say for a novel is because every single character here gets more nuance and interest and motivation mm. than than pretty much, I don't know, a good 90% of film characters you see here. And we've often said film does uh, one-dimensional or two-dimensional characters well, three-dimensional characters it's sometimes better off not trying. Because um, it just it's either you, you've got a limited space to do it in exactly. But, but here, I, I didn't film, feel anybody was getting short shrift. No, with this film, I feel it made me feel I'm wrong a bit because here everyone is a multi-dimensional. Uh, I don't just mean they do bad things and good things. Their motivations. Good <laughs> uh, that is a good start. But I, I feel like their motivations are clear. It's not like they're driven by plots. In fact, the plot. In fact, the whole film's like the plot. The whole film feels like the plot is driven by the characters, um, and that's why it's messy and goes in different places. Mm. Um, and and you got thing, things like the ex-husband's new girlfriend. Yes, yeah. I mean, she she felt like a very Cohen character to me. <laughs> the, the kind of uh, the comedy. She, she doesn't. To be fair, she doesn't get a lot of nuance. Bless her. Um, she's she's basically there to be mocked. But, but also, the, this is this is one of one of the realistic things. Very often, if there is. A, a trauma like a child dying that that will precipitate a divorce. And yes, one can't say whether that would have happened anyway, but it, it's it's an entirely plausible thing for it. You know, the thing, you know, everything comes apart. Yes, exactly. And uh, her ex-husband, who is um, John Hawkes, um, he, you know, in other films he'd be a villain, or uh, but here he's, um, you know, he does care and he's upset and he's grieving in his own way. 
Mm. Um, doesn't make him like Mildred anymore. And as you say, you get the strong impression that marriage wouldn't have lasted whatever happened. Um, in fact, I, I think it was clear. I, is it clear that they divorced before it? Anyway, I, I think maybe... Oh, yes, yes, it. of course, because there's the thing about he, the, the, the daughter had been she wanted trying to, come to go and live, live with him instead of her, yeah. That's right, yes. But, uh, again... So, so cancel my comment on that being realistic, because it's already happened. <laughs> <laughs> but it's... Uh, but he gets, you know, a fair crack of the whip as well. He's not just like this lecherous old guy. He's he's grieving in his own way, and it, he, he doesn't get the best um, impression. But uh, everyone here is given time to explain, and what's more, they don't have to spell out what's going on. They just act mm. it, um, and they're all good enough actors, particularly Francis McDormand. But but all of them are good enough actors to show, not tell, why they're behaving the way they are. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it it feels like it clicks along at a fair old rate. This film as well. It it did not drag for me at all. Um, this is a film that I watched. Uh, uh, I watched the first ten minutes right after we watched the film we're going to discuss um, in the next episode. Um, uh, but and I was too tired to carry on. But then I watched the because it was like two a.m. But then I watched the rest of it all in one, which is hmm. uncommon for me for ribbon and beams. Uh, I, I usually watch things in in little bouts. But I just this is a very watchable, warm, caring film. I I do think it has some problems with it. Yeah, and cinematically, I, I like it a lot, except that a lot of the interiors are awfully dark. Okay. Oh, that right, was the impression yes. I got. I mean, some some of that is the point, particularly um, Jason's home. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, that's that's fair. With, with his, is is the mother supposed to be dead at the end? I think so. I wasn't sure whether she was dead drunk or dead. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't really dwell on it. It could have been either. I didn't notice her breathing. But she did. Did she have a bottle next to her? I I couldn't quite make it. Out. Maybe that's exactly the point you're trying to make. We mm. couldn't quite tell. Um, but the the other house, I mean, the other house we see a lot of is Mildred's, and similarly, yeah. that's you know, yes, her son is still living there with her, but she's kind of put everything on hold until she can cope with this again. Is the, is the way I read yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, do you? I've been slightly critical. I, I hope I've not been too critical. Have you got any criticisms of Three Billboards, other than the, the darkness? Not really. I mean, I can see ways it could have been done differently and that might have made it better, but I can't say they definitely would have. I like, like perhaps focusing more on, on, the, on the principal trio rather than having all the side characters. Um, yeah, maybe. But, yeah, maybe. Maybe not. Yeah, it's one of those where you, you just kind of trust the uh, you trust the filmmaker and you go along with it. But yeah, I said I'd come back to the ending. I I this is an ambiguous ending. This is one where they drive off to an uncertain future, and in this case, it's are they or are they not going to kill um, a maybe or maybe not racist? I mean, they're pretty sure he is, but actually, uh, rapist. Could, be fair. Uh, uh, sorry, rapist. No, <laughs> um, uh, uh, they're pretty sure he is. Um, but they might be wrong. There's actually no, there's no. Uh, and they may change their minds. Yeah. Um, I, it worked very well for me. I hated the Birdman ending, mm. which was an ambiguous ending. Because I think you put it quite well. I think you blogged about it afterwards. But you basically, it just feels like a cop out. We can't think of an ending. You do it. Um, yeah. Uh, and he, uh, it's not. It just feels like the, an appropriate place to end 
the story that we've been on, and I don't. I don't particularly need to know what happens after that. I well, en- endings are always tricky. I mean, un- unless yeah. something actually ends with the protagonist's death, then yeah. there's always, you know, what happened next. I mean, the other way of ending this would have been, uh, we found him, and then you, how she reacted to that. Hmm. But uh, this film, I, I think quite rightly, or uh, to its credit, doesn't go down that route either. They just, um, what, they're going to become vigilante duo <laughs> chasing races. It's, it's hard to know, but um, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not in general a fan of Slice of Life. I do like to have some sort of emotional arc and conclusion over the course of the story. Yes. But I do think we're getting that. I mean, yes, Mildred's story is going on, Jason's story is going on, but this is a point at which they are not wondering what to do, they are doing something, or at least, you know, they, 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 they've decided what course they're going to take, even if they're going to, maybe, maybe going to change their minds. Yeah, they've broken out of, um, yeah, exactly. They've broken out of their bounds and are uh, heading off to somewhere new. Um, it's a good film. I, I, I have some slight qualms about it, but not many, honestly. Uh, this is one of the rare films which, I was told it was brilliant. Everyone said it was really good. Um, I saw a few people saying, as you do with all of these things, I saw a few people saying, oh, it's not nearly, I don't know what everyone's talking about. This isn't very good at all. Uh, and whenever I see that, I think, oh, I'm going to be one of those people. But I wasn't. I think it's great. I can see things which, if I'd gone into them in a different frame of mind, I would I would have been more annoyed by. But the the thing, and this this is... I, th- I think becoming a recurring theme for me. The film carried me along sufficiently that I yeah. wasn't nitpicking the little things that might be wrong. I, th- I think that is a really good point. If if you're irritated with the film, then you actually start spending time being like, well, that's wrong too, and that's wrong too. Uh, whereas if you're enjoying it, you just don't notice that stuff. That's a really good point. Yeah, um, I, th- I think in in terms of what one might say, you know, films about rape and revenge, which I, th- I think one can reasonably regard as as a genre, this isn't about the rape. This isn't about the murder. It isn't even about the investigation. Yeah, it's about the reactions emotionally to what's happened. I mean, the the, the all right. I I may be going out on a limb here, and the thing I've mentioned before that I I regard I Spit on Your Grave as a classic. It's one of the first <laughs> rape and revenge films. Okay, yeah, but it has that basic problem that it can't resist making the rape a bit sexy. That is always um, yeah. uh, an uncomfortable one. Well, this film, I, again, much to its credit, I, I absolutely agree with you. We never see the crime. The closest we get to seeing the crime is a blackened patch on the grass. Mm. We never... There is a, a single flashback. It's nothing to do... Well, it's you don't even know if that's the night she went out and got murdered. It's not clear. Pro- might well be, given mm. the way she reacts to it. Um, but you don't see the... You don't see the murder, you don't see the rape, you never see the rapist. Um, you know as much about it pretty much as Mildred does, um, except she's read the crime report. It doesn't dwell on it, and that's mm. really... Uh, one of my favourite writers, um, Alan Moore, uh, he's a fantastic writer. Unfortunately, though, he does... And I, uh, he does... Uh, violence Against Women appears in a lot of his stories, Um uh, to the point where it kind of feels like he's dwelling on it a bit. And I, I think that, uh, his point is, well, it happens. Are we just going to ignore it? Um, I think this film is a good example of how you can show it happens and indicate that it happens without uh, making it in any way 
voyeuristic or a bit sexy or gratuitous well, or anything as a, like as a, that. I, I think uh, less easily defended example, Frank Miller and his obsession with prostitutes. Oh, well, uh, you know, <laughs> Frank Miller I'm not going to defend in any way. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, okay. Uh, all right, so... Um, Three billboard. Have you any more to say about it, Roger? I yeah, I think that's about it. It's one of those it's difficult when we broadly like a film, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, there are bits that one could change, but it, it, it's with a bad film, it's very easy to criticise you. Know, this bit doesn't quite work, and if you change it a bit, it would fit better and whatever. But I think it, if you changed any of these bits, you would be at risk of making the whole thing work less well. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I I have some discomfort about the. The ease of forgiveness of a very bad man. Uh, I think you've defended quite well that maybe he wasn't forgiven or particularly changed. I, I well, yeah. Points. As far as Mildred is concerned, you know, it it wasn't her father, son, boyfriend who got chucked out of the window. Yeah, so she she's just focused so tightly in that that doesn't matter to her. Yes, yeah. That doesn't make her a bad person, but it does make her a thoughtless one. It's a, yeah, well, all these characters in some way are thoughtless or selfish or cruel or kind or warm or thoughtful in in many different measures. Very good. So for me, I think it is a masterpiece. Uh, I would certainly watch it again happily. Um, I, I'm slightly hesitant saying that because I, I wonder if it's a perfect example of the form. I I think it's a perfect example of a... I, it's nice to see a film that is what does it do that's masterpiece to me it, it creates characters that are multi-dimensional seemingly effortless, effortlessly and gives them all a fair crack of the whip uh in a short screen time it doesn't take too long over it um and touches on a lot of different interesting subjects without being judgmental about them for me i think that is enough to make it a masterpiece mm, i think i'm probably a, a few points up on the scale from you, but I, I, I won't say any of your criticisms are wrong. I agree with them. They just didn't impair my enjoyment of it. Fair enough, yeah. Uh, well, so, yeah. Also, no both... explosions. A film Roger enjoys with no explosions in it. Though there is some fire, so, yeah. There was a, there was a <laughs> fire, but no explosion. Um, there we go. Um, uh, two thumbs up, to use an old uh, <laughs> an old cliche. We both liked it very much. We approve. Um, I, I might go back and track down seven psychopaths. Um, uh, in that case, because I did like In Brood. I'm not, maybe the sound of it, the, the the fact that it's called Seven Psychopaths and it has uh, those three in actually puts me off a little bit because it feels <laughs> like it's going to be a sub Tarantino film. It does, like, have, it does have that air in, in uh, I, mean, I don't does, know. So. Um, but uh, I liked In Brood. I'd like this much more than In Bruges, um so I will, I'll probably track it down. And uh, so, in 2017 in film, I think one of the big things is the Weinstein story breaks in October. Oh, does it? Okay. So that affected the Oscars, of course. And we we got a whole bunch of people saying, oh, wow, wow, what about these cancelled films that will now never be made? And yeah, but how about the rapes that now won't happen, you know? (laughs) <laughs> yes, that's also a very good point. Uh, anyway, at the Oscars, uh, this, this gets, uh, two for Frosted McDormand and Sam Rockwell, which I would certainly not argue well, with. So, so Sam Rockwell, best actor, best supporting actor? Supporting actor, actor yeah. Okay. Alright, yeah, fair enough. Uh, The Shape of Water gets four, uh, two of the majors, so picture, director, score, and production design. I don't know why 
my eye immediately flicks to the fish fuckers book that I have <laughs> <laughs> on my shelf for Lamentations of a Flame Princess. Um, but uh, but there we are. It's it's a good. Film. I, I have seen it and it is it's it's very good. But um, uh, this this is also the the year of uh, early World War Two films because we get Darkest Hour um, gets two oh, and Dunkirk like gets it. three. I haven't seen Dunkirk. I haven't seen either of those. But um, I didn't feel any great enthusiasm but I don't know I, I I always think that a film tends to be the introduction to something for people who haven't seen it before and that's, right, those, okay. those are not really events I feel I need an introduction to. Yeah, that's fair enough, yeah, and if you know a lot about it you're just going to be like, well that didn't happen, or that, why have you missed that, and why yeah, okay, yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, other major awards uh, see, I, Tonya gets Alison Janney a supporting actress as Tonya Harding's abusive mother uh, okay. I've, I've uh, heard I, vaguely positive things about it. But yeah, I, I would I would like to see that, actually. But, um... uh, Jordan Peele gets original screenplay for Get Out, which was definitely one we considered for this. We did think about Get Out, didn't we? But uh, we went for this instead. Uh, Call Me By Your Name gets adapted screenplay. Uh, doomed Gay Love Story. Okay. Don't know that one. Which, as, as far as I can tell from the synopsis, is pretty much standard doomed love, doomed love story, except they had to be gay, which, you know, great, but... Uh, yeah, it's good. <laughs> I've yeah, seen doomed love I've story love, before. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. I, I don't mind the odd doomed love story. Maybe I'll think about it. Uh, oh, and uh, Blade Runner 2049 got two, but they were both minor uh, cinematography uh, and visual effects, which I imagine we may come back to at some point. Uh, about which one and on, yes. Uh, at the box office, uh, it's another quite superhero a year. Of course it is. Uh, number 10, Wonder Woman. Did it? Uh, not not seen it. Yeah. Uh, I, at this point, my I'd stopped keeping up now with the superhero films as well. So yeah, I mean, I, my I, excuse for the Marvel films is that I got way behind. I wasn't as behind on this, I'm just not terribly interested. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Number 9, Thor Ragnarok. Number 8, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Uh, something slightly unexpected. Number 7, no, Wolf Warrior 2. Wolf Warrior 2? I've never heard of it. Uh, huge in China. Um, oh really? Biggest box office for a Chinese film ever. Goodness uh, me! It's basically modern action. Um, and then oh. we, then we get number six, Spider-Man: Homecoming. Oh, that's uh, good. They're, num- they're all good. The Marvel films. They're number five, the- Jumanji: Welcome to the Jungle. Which is that the first or the second of the new ones? I've lost track. Oh, it's the first one. It's very good, actually. That's uh, the Rock um, being very rocky. He think, does raise. A bunch of films that would be rubbish to watchable, and if it's actually yeah. already watchable, even better. Yeah, it's it's not bad at all. Um, and number four, Despicable Me three, which I swerved, having been really unimpressed by two. But yeah, I, amazingly, I haven't actually seen that. Even the kids haven't watched Despicable Me three. Yeah, <laughs> uh, number three, The Fate of the Furious, which is technically what, uh, is not that... a superhero film. Is that Fast and Furious? Yes. Oh goodness! Okay, I've not watched any of that franchise. I've I've seen the first three. I did. I did. I briefly be for the April Fools' episode watching every single Fast and Furious. You did. You're on, <laughs> did, you're yeah. on record. Uh, um, yeah, I'm glad we didn't do that. <laughs> uh, number two, the live-action remake Beauty of the Beast, which I guess explains why Disney keeps making these live-action remakes, even though everybody I know says no. Why? 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 
I didn't want to see a live-action realistic beast. It would be terrifying. Anyway. <laughs> and at number one, not a superhero film, I guess, uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi. Ooh, that was the very controversial one with the the, the fl- flying layer, and uh, that was the one that tried to do tried to veer away a little bit from the formula mm. and make it so it turns out you can be a Jedi even if a, a super Jedi even if you don't have your dad as Vader or your granddad as the Emperor or whatever. Um, and they very quickly retrofitted back onto that that um, no, you do have to have the granddad as the emperor instead, or or your mum's hand solo or something like that. Um, <laughs> so that that was the one that tried to change it a bit. Everyone hated it, so they went back to the formula. There we go. Yeah, I, I haven't seen any of the uh, new Star Wars films, so yeah, maybe sometime. Well, you have though, because you've seen the original trilogy, so you've basically already seen them. <laughs> so, uh, a, a concept we will return to in a future episode. <laughs> okay. So yeah, all I really have to say is, if I had some food, I'd give it to you. All I got is some Doritos, and they might kill you. They're kind of pointy. Then where would we be? <laughs> that was my favourite scene, I think. <laughs>